Hello, and welcome to the podcast where passion and purpose collide. We are on a mission to interview women and the occasional token man about how their passion and purpose have collided to create healthy relationships and profitable businesses. I'm Elizabeth Denham, host publisher of The Franchise Woman. I'm here with Rebecca Bonet, president and chief scientist of Zorical Profiles. Uh, well, welcome to the show. We always start off with roses and thorns, our highs and lows of the week. And uh, Rebecca, start us off. How's your story? Oh, Elizabeth, <laughs> you probably can't relate to this, but I discovered uh, a gray hair in <laughs> my, my eyebrow. I mean, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> I, it was like horrifying to me, and it literally is like a thorn. I didn't know gray hair was so tough, right? It's not like my red hair. It's 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 like it's like a thorn. I'm serious. It's kind of like horrifying, but it was funny because I was thinking about it. I'm like, no, this is another sign of aging. But I got to, I got to thinking, um, you know, old ladies you know, frequently are painting on their eyebrows, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. And I always thought just as you age, you would get less and less eyebrows. And that's why you would paint them on. But I think what happens is it goes gray. And then you basically just pluck them all out. And then you have to paint paint them back on. Oh, that's hilarious. I don't know if that's why or not. I know my, my mother's generation used to pluck, you know, very thin eyebrows with the style, and eventually they stopped growing back, so they mm-hmm. had thinner, but she, they still have eyebrows. My former mother-in-law had zero eyebrows, and I'm not, I think she plucked all hers out, but I'm not sure why, but she just drew it on with a pencil. That's what my, that's what my stepmother does, and I have a lot of hair, and I just, I just think it's, I think it's a, a, another gender thing, right? Because if you watch men as they age, they get more hair, right? In the nose and in their ears. And then I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, you glad it wasn't coming out of your ear. <laughs> I guess that's, that's true. And then it appears as women, maybe we just start getting thinner eyebrows. I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. And, and, and I cannot see a rose in any of that other than, other than uh, with this, you know, quarantine being lifted maybe I can go get my eyebrows tinted or dyed or whatever they they do but otherwise I would have to live with this there there is a solution did you pluck it or is it still there no no I'm still kind of in <laughs> shock you can't see it <laughs> no that is too funny so how, so how about you girl what, what's your roses and thorns well, we had a very big rose this past week. Um, my daughter, who just graduated from college about a week ago, um, is a journalism graduate, and she was in the Hearst competition, which is like the Pulitzer for journalism students. Wow. And she won second place in the nation um, for her reporting, and then she won best story overall for a story that she did on Bucky's. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they're, uh, Tell they're me about huge it. gas stations that have their own bakery, they have uh, brisket, you can buy mm. cheeses, they have a coffee bar. I mean, it's like a convenience store on steroids. They have 20 or 30 or 40 pumps. Their bathrooms are known for being the cleanest bathrooms you've ever been in. 
So she did the story because it was sort of, they're expanding. They're in Texas, they're in Florida, they're in Alabama. Um, and it was just sort of a cute feature piece on what, what's going on. Why does everybody love Bucky? They have lines miles long. Um, and evidently it was a hit. The judge told her it was the only one out of a thousand that he, she could remember. So Wow. So she must that be- was very exciting. That is very exciting. And to take a convenience store and turn, a, turn it into an interesting, memorable story that is, you know, worthy of this massive uh, reward. I mean, I cannot even imagine taking such a simple topic and turning it into something so memorable. That's incredible. Well, it, it was published in the Washington Post. So it was interesting that they thought it was that interesting. She pitched it just as an intern and said, hey, what do you think of this? And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. And uh, it ended up doing big things for her. She got a nice little bit of money that's going to help her um, get settled in her new apartment in Washington, D.C. And it was, that was a great week. Uh, and the thorn is that my husband the other night came home from work about 10 o'clock and was shaking like a leaf. And when you see a big man shaking, it's like more disturbing on a bigger person than a smaller person, I think. And, and yeah. he wouldn't let me take his temperature. And finally, in the middle of the night, I said, let me take it. And it was 102.6. And he thought he was better and then got worse. So he finally got an antibiotic today, but he's, he's caused me a little concern because he, he's not the greatest patient and doesn't want to be cared for in that way. He just wants to be left alone. And I just want to make sure he's taking good care of himself. <laughs> he's a macho man. He's a, he's a warrior. He's, he's invincible. So he's, he's invincible. He doesn't need caretaking. You know, it's a little temperature. What's the big deal, right? That's the thing. His um, ringtone on my phone is the Rocky theme song, which, he really relates to in his own mind. He loves that he's the Rocky theme song. So. <laughs> that tells you a little bit about his uh, I'm invincible man attitude. <laughs> but the funny thing is, he's the sweetest caretaker of me in the world. If I get sick, he will drop everything and take care of me and make, bring me food or whatever. He just doesn't want, he doesn't want that. <laughs> he's, he's a macho man. He's, he's a, he a provider. He's a protector. And so he gets a couple chinks in his armor. That's okay. It's okay, taking him down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, well, it sounds like we had, you know, some interesting things going on this week. I'm, I can't wait to hear the update on the eyebrow here. Eyebrow, I'll keep you going. As we move forward. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have a fantastic guest today. Her name is Tamara Kennedy. We're going to go ahead and bring her on. And while we do that, if, why don't you tell us all about her? All right. Well, you know, initially I thought I would just do a short thing on Tamara but she comes with such a wonderful background. I'm actually going to read her whole uh, bio uh, with your permission. So um, 37 years ago, Tamara took a job as a secretary, and she was making $4.05 an hour working for a franchisee of a Burger King and Taco John's. After 17 years as an employee, Tamara was offered the opportunity to buy the restaurant from the owner. She currently owns and operates nine Taco John's locations, primarily in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, but she also has one restaurant in central uh, Iowa. Her personal mission is to provide a family environment for young people to experience their beginnings in the workforce so that they can continue their career paths with fundamental lessons that will serve them into the future. I thought that was like unbelievable. So Tamara has become an outspoken proponent of franchising. She currently serves as a board member of the International Franchise Association and the 2019 co-chair of the Board Franchisee Engagement Task Force. 
Tamara is also the 2020 chair of the Franchisee Forum and a member of the Franchise Relationship Committee at the IFA. And on top of all that, in 2019, uh, Tamara also partnered with two fellow franchisees, Tom Barber and uh, Mitch Cohen, and formed something called the Performax Franchisee Advisors. And their goal is to work in partnership with franchisors to support the franchisees with growth goals, bringing franchise perspective to a franchisor and supplier planning initiative. And to speak about the lessons that they have learned with their combined 97 years as franchisees. So Tamara, I'm so glad to have you with us today. So welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, it's very nice. Welcome. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, we have like a thousand questions uh, oh, for yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> but let's start with you are in Minneapolis and we are dealing with this George Floyd thing and the protesting and the rioting that is going on. Can you give us a, you know, man on the street perspective, uh, especially as a franchisee as to what's going on? First of all, um, I think that the heart and soul of this is that something so tragic happened to one person. um, And that death has really sparked the idea that we do need to talk about changes, but also that there are some things that can't be just a quick news segment and then we move on to whatever is new news. This is a real um, big kind of, I think probably epic uh, change in society. And from from a, a business operator here in Minnesota, this happened on Monday, Memorial Day. And what was challenging, I think, is that, of course, we have COVID, so a lot of people aren't really kind of back into their normal routines, Um, and a lot of us were really witness to what was happening real time because the news was on, and it interrupted all coverage here. Um, I have eight restaurants here in Minnesota. Six or maybe five, probably I'll still say six, are are within distance of where the event happened and where some of the discontent started to show up. And by Tuesday morning, um, my whole team was on high alert, even though we hadn't seen what we now have seen across the world. I, I predicted that there was enough pressure in our world that it collided all into that one event. And sparked kind of what we have. So my first concern is always to keep my 150 kids. All my employees are, I call kids, regardless of age. My 150 kids safe. Um, Yeah, we had um, looting that came within a block of one of our stores, our brand new store. We're grateful to the police that held the line at a Walgreens that was being destroyed. Um, Targets in suburbs that you would not normally think would be um, associated with either peaceful demonstrations or maybe any kind of middle of the night activity, mm-hmm. all of a sudden were being um, breached. Target closed you know, a lot of their stores. And today, I guess, I think the lesson for all of us is that um, 
as business owners, we didn't have a crisis plan um, for some for civil unrest. We do now. We didn't have a COVID plan either. I do now. Um, but it is the bigger lesson of all is that um, the actions of some whatever whatever it is, the actions that can happen and how it affects the business community can can both be catastrophic and also. I think empowering because I hope you all saw citizens come out and clean yes. the box day after day, just not organized, just showing up with garbage bags and shovels and brooms and helping. And we're seeing that all across the country and community has to stay together. My team also had a strong, they have a lot of pride in our restaurants. Um, they wanted to stay and protect. And I said, no, go home. Um, but it was challenging times, and we've learned a lot. We have learned a lot. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I think it's, it's an amazing thing to think that it, it isn't something that you think of in, ter in terms mm -hmm. of, we didn't used to think that you had to have a plan for school shootings, and now we have plans for that. Right. Now you've got to have a plan as a business owner, especially in a larger city, civil unrest. In terms of your staff, you have 150 kids. True. Um, you have a lot of diversity among those 150. How do you support them emotionally through something? Because not only do they want to stay and protect your business, the store where they work, their livelihoods, they, I'm sure they want to protect themselves, but I'm sure they also have personal fears and emotions, and I'm sure everybody's tensions are running high. I mean, how as a leader have you dealt with that sort of part of it? Very tough. Um, you're right. We um, pride ourselves, actually, and I always have in finding um, the best representatives of each of the communities that we build our stores in. Mm -hmm. And that always means a diverse uh, group of teams. And that's important, right? The, the folks that maybe work two or three hours during the day, maybe they're doing it just to supplement social security income, they're retired, but they're also coaching the 17 year old whose job um, mm -hmm. is to learn how to cook or learn how to um, interact with guests and it's their first job and there's nothing better than having a diverse workforce for that we also have diversity in race and in almost every other way that you can think of even some um, that are not from our country but have come here um, we do take under our wing we have one young man um, not long ago that showed up here in America at uh, 16 years old from Ethiopia, um, could barely speak English. My son actually was his general manager at the time. And now um, through the course of life and becoming part of my personal family, he, um, we taught him how to drive a car, mostly successfully. I personally <laughs> taught him how to swim. Um, he's now married, has a child and is working on becoming a doctor. He's a nurse now. I'm working on becoming a doctor. And so with going from not knowing English to working inside a restaurant to become part of a family, kind of mm -hmm. something I specialize in. Emotionally, I think the idea for us has always been respect. Mm -hmm. We have the right to feel the way we do about what we see, but we also have respect for some rules that we have in place, which are really meant as boundaries, regardless of what's happening today, or 10 years ago, or 37 years ago, in my case, we don't, we really don't allow conversations around three or four very volatile topics to happen in the workplace. We have 
lots of resources that we can give and share um, for counseling and outreach, but we just can't um, host a conversation around um, certain topics. And so we really try to talk about tacos, but our team knows that they really want to express or have fear. There's a kind of a mini group inside each of the stores to reach out to and they connect and we help them find the resources they need to um, work through what, what, what's going on for them and how, how whatever's happening is affecting them. And not just this, I mean, there are many things happening, hunger, real um, during COVID families that are hungry um, where my employees, 17, 18, 19 years old, are the only ones in the family working. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad have been laid off. And so we, we've done a lot of work in the last three or four months, really, truly to understand that what you used to think was, you know, you just took as a, a day is a day, things have changed so much. And it's a really good time to think about finding those resources, making sure you can help. Transportation, right? Mm-hmm. How did they get to work? They don't want to lose their job. Well, we buy Uber gift cards and hand them out. We want to make yeah. sure nobody feels left out and can't come to work because they don't have a car or can't use public transportation. So we've worked on it from every angle, I think. Yeah. Well, wow. and just to follow up on that real quick, you have a lot of young people. You talk about the teenagers. This is their yeah. first job. I have a lot of young people, children. Um, who are engaging in their first jobs, a lot of them are, you know, from, from 13 to 22 are my kids. And I have a couple who are struggling with the idea of the future and having 37 years of experience mm. in the business. Um, I think one of the things as a leader of young people, trying to instill in them the, the idea that we will recover, that things will go on, that you will be okay. Um, sure. How have you handled that? Because I imagine with your, have you had young people expressing those existential fears and how yeah. they're going to survive? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little about that. Yeah, most of those existential fears are hard for them actually to name. They, mm-hmm. they manifest themselves in a way that is um, and shows up in their work as, you know, you seem quiet today. What's mm-hmm. going on? And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's just too much. And then you start, you try to dig a little bit without intruding and say, you know, right. there's something you want to talk about. And I think the fears really sometimes are placed on them because, and I'll be honest, I'm not ever going to back down from my truth. A lot of times it's media. Yeah. Um, they're overextended in terms of getting their opinions and their information through maybe not um, factual sources. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we saw this during um during the riots that occurred here in Minneapolis, where our team would say, I heard there's a gang three blocks away, you know, with fire torches. Well, there was no such thing, but everything gets just blown up into Mm -hmm. what's going on. So here's what we do with our young people. First of all, skills Mm -hmm. are the foundation for any future that you want. Remember, in the restaurant business, it really isn't restaurants, right? We tell people we are in the commodities business. We sell food. We we buy commodities. We have a taco factory, so there's some factory work in there. We have selling skills at the front counter, so they're not cashiers. They're they're our sales team. We work on all of those skills. And so what we teach is if you want to learn how to run any business in the world, you need three things, and we will teach it to you while you're here. How to manage people 
how to manage money, and how to manage inventory. And if you can do those three things, you can run any business in the world. We also <laughs> ask young people, what do you want to do? You don't look too happy to be here. Yeah, my mom made me get a job, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mom made me get a job. Mm-hmm. summertime. I've been that mom, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you want to do? Well, um, what I really want to do is build cars, or I really want to, the top three I get right now, no judgment, just telling you, I want to be a YouTube star. YouTube star. I want to be in the rap business. Mm -hmm. And I want to um, basically go into acting and, you know, be some sort of a star that way. So their their goals are um, based on pop culture a lot. I always say, great, who's going to manage your money? Okay, you're not going to have time. You're a star. You're flying on jets. How are you going to trust somebody? We need to work on your paycheck. You need to understand taxes that come mm-hmm. out of your check and how to budget. Countless hours sitting down with young people with a piece of paper and a pencil, writing out a budget and bills and how much your bills are. And you always know you've got a challenge when they say, what is this FICA and why did they take my money? So it's a lot of education. Oh, education they're not getting at school and sometimes at home for this reason or that reason, but to have that practical life skills and to know it really does go in these three buckets that you mentioned. And no matter what they do, they could be YouTube stars or actors or whatever they want to be. They're still going to need to have those three skills and to learn them um, above and beyond um, making a paycheck by, you know, putting a few hours uh, every week. I I really applaud your commitment because that um, the first time employees are not easy. I mean, you're, you're basically taking folks that are just a piece of clay and you're, you're saying, what do you want to become? Let me help you become it in an environment where you're supported, you're encouraged, you're loved, you're Mm -hmm. accepted. And what I expect in return is that you respect our rules and you do your job. But in turn, this is all the other things that you're going to get out yeah. of it. I, it's my favorite part of life. It's the truly the only reason I continue to do exactly what I've always done. Because, look, most of the kids today that maybe have gotten, maybe they're 16 to 20 years old and they haven't quite latched on to the idea of college, let's say. It's beyond mm-hmm. their, um, their view right now they almost feel resentful that they have to work. And let's add on that it's at a quote unquote fast food restaurant, right? (laughs) The worst to tell your friends, oh, great. So you're going to go work it. And we have worked hard tirelessly to help them understand that it's a business. All of the same business principles are here. Um, I think it's probably why I'm so successful in having kept my superstar managers they are promoted from within. They've worked with me for a couple of them now, 26 years, 24, 19 wow. years. They stay because I love them and because the tacos don't make themselves. I can't do it. But because they started as crew people at 14 years old or 15 years old through high school. Um, and they realized that without a college education, they can make a six-figure salary with bonuses if they're running high volume restaurants and supporting their communities. That's really what how you have to break it down. Mm. 
passion comes from the fact that I grew up um, just like them. I never wanted to go home. I love school. In a lot of cases, our young people don't care for school anymore. So their favorite place to go every day is work. And we, we see that and we appreciate that. And we, we technically aren't supposed to say like it's a family environment. People sometimes get wishy about that. But yeah, we have Easter egg hunts and yeah, we have Thanksgiving dinner and we do Secret Santa and we have pumpkin painting contests. Yeah, that's what we do. This is a group of people that didn't know each other to start with, but become a family. And so they learn some social adaptation skills that way as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of how we run this taco world over here. So this this speaks to a lot of what Elizabeth and I talk about, which is uh, you've created a very specific type of culture with a very specific mission uh, in mind. And Mm -hmm. it just happens to be a taco shop that you're running. Correct. But, But there's something greater and bigger going on. And everything you're doing in terms of your policies, your procedures, your training, uh, your reward systems, um, is building this kind of culture. So I guess my question is, was it conscious, was it deliberate when you first became uh, a franchisee, or was this kind of like a lot of us, a trial and error thing, and you sort of happened upon it? It's, um, I would say it's maybe a mix of both, but predominantly, it was my vision for how I thought the workplace should be. Um, my first job, my first W-2 job was at a pizza hut. And within three days, I wasn't sure whether or not I could stay because the person in charge had a temper, would throw things, um, would um, launch tirades at people that made mistakes. And to kind of tell you how old I am, there was no delivery of pizza at that time. I actually went to the pizza hut to sit down and eat your pizza with the family. So I made $2.05 an hour. And that was life. To have $2.05 an hour for me was the difference between living on the street or finding an apartment for $100 a month. And so I worked really hard to kind of keep my head down and not get in trouble. But I learned an awful lot about if I ever had the chance, how would I run a business? And sometimes I think that's how things work out. You know what you think it should be and you haven't seen it and when you get the chance to do it you do it that way it's um it's truly an honor for me I mean I I don't do it right all the time and again my team makes me look good but I won't let a general manager move up into that position unless they really align on the value of family and can demonstrate that as we loan money to kids for whatever it is to help them out or to managers whose car breakdown. I mean, we have a fund. We have a little emergency fund for, you know, I've, you know, it's sad, funeral expenses, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. We, try to, we try to do that. But we also, on the other side, we expect performance and we teach performance and we remove the kind of the things, the, the obstacles and the um, defense mechanisms that might be built in. And we just say that's that's not good enough. You know, good enough never is, is what we like to say. You've got to do it well. And I I think for the most part, everybody understands that or they choose to leave us and we find somebody else that is willing to stay and we're pretty lucky that way. Well, 
imagine, especially children who have less family support or maybe they don't speak English at home, um, this kind of leadership and family atmosphere could be the difference between their success or failure in life. I mean, mm -hmm. because these are the critical formative years of their work ethic, their understanding of, of responsibilities and showing up on time. And like you said, managing their money, like my kids were not allowed to not be on time, or, you know, but I was, I was aware of every single thing they were doing, yeah. but every kid doesn't have that foundation mm -hmm. to rely on. And, and I think that what you're doing is, is remarkable because you don't see it a lot. Well, I appreciate that. Um, we don't always get it right, but we know we do when 10 years later, somebody comes home to say, mm -hmm. I just wanted to thank you. This was my favorite job ever. And now I have my degree or I've opened up my own beauty salon or I've started an auto repair company or I do snow plowing and landscaping. And, and mm -hmm. we hear that and we see that we've also had doctors, lawyers, a prima ballerina, um, other restaurant owners and franchisees come start with us and go on to run their own brands or brands that even compete with me. I'm not going to lie. So we're, proud, we're very proud of that. Um, we also have, we also have stories that we see occasionally in the news where somebody that used to work for us is caught up in a crime and our team really talks about that as leaders, our leadership team about, did we do everything we can did we, did we try our best? Because they, they will have left us usually because of those signs that they are already in trouble and we can't, you know, there's drugs or there's theft. And we try to, we try to interrupt what might be a path, but then we, when we see something go wrong and a fail, we count it as a fail, I guess it hurts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, we try to remember that when we get our next team member and make sure that we're, we do it the best we can with, with everybody that comes to us. So, yeah. Yeah. I like the, the best boss I've ever met. I, mean, I was thinking the same thing. I want to work at Taco John's in Minneapolis. That's what I want to do. I will tell you. you care about these. If I, I do. If you were my child's boss, I would be so thrilled yeah. because they would, my, one of my kids had a boss who taught him life lessons and he, he, he was, he did well. And then he kind of got tired of it and, he wanted to play his music and practice more. And he was mad that his work interfered with that. And they, they sat him down and gave him talks and yeah. they were friends of ours. And so once or twice they even called us and said, here's what we're telling him. Just so you know, we were like, okay, yeah. great. Yay. Yay. Parenting helps. <laughs> yeah. I have had more than one conversation with a parent too. Um, I've had, I've had parents come in and I've had to help them understand the work environment and understand mm -hmm. the money piece. I mean, we've got, there's so many challenges out there for young people to get into the workforce. And our values really are that um, any job is a privilege. Mm -hmm. um, any way that you can help your family by supporting yourself so that your family doesn't have to give you money for whatever your needs are. That's, mm -hmm. that's honorable work, regardless of if it's at a fast food restaurant. Absolutely. And it, it lays into our, our purpose, cause, and passion, which is our family feeds friends. Mm -hmm. That's it. Nine stores, four words. That's what we do every day. We know our customers. Um, they bring Christmas presents to those same kids. Uh, they, you know, we work hard to live in a neighborhood rather than kind of just mm -hmm. another business on the street. And it's worked yeah. so far. So it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. 
how you're stepping in the gap for these kids and uh, opening up some doors for them into a future by setting a very solid foundation of personal responsibility, self-sufficiency, good decision-making skills, money skills. And I hate for this conversation to end. I don't know about you. <laughs> that what I know. It's going by so quickly. <laughs> but I, I want to make sure that folks that are listening uh, to this show, uh, Tam, that they have a way of getting hold of you. What would be the best way for folks to get hold of you? Gosh, well, um, I'm out on LinkedIn. Probably can find me under Tamara Kennedy. Um, most people get the first name spelled wrong. It's only five letters, Tamara. My sister calls me Ra. Everybody else is Tam, so <laughs> kind of interesting. Um, probably that's the best way. Um, I'm never as close to my emails as I need to be sometimes. And I am doing a lot of work with our government right now, um, really focused on representing small businesses across the country, franchising in particular, um, spending hours, um, I think, legislatively trying to change the value of small business and what our main streets mean and how we can make sure everybody gets back to where they they were and their investment is protected as family owned businesses. So Absolutely. not always at email, but um, LinkedIn is probably the best way or um, you've got my email. If you publish any part of this, um, yeah. you're welcome to share my email with them as well. Absolutely. I think we should have her back to talk about that legislative work that you're doing too. Oh, I think that mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. there was so many things to talk about, but I think that what you're doing for that is, is, is equally as important. So mm-hmm. well, we'd love to have you back. We'll have to reach back out. Okay. Happy to. Thanks, Tam. Wonderful. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. We are going to come right back with Women in the Know after this commercial break. Oracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply... Welcome back to Women in the Know, where we discuss everything from politics and policy to relationships and marketing, from franchise growth and marketing to difficulties between franchisees and franchisors. Today's topic, we touched on it with Tamara, is uh, the importance of culture and what it means in business. So Rebecca, she had a lot to say about culture, and it sounds like she's been so intentional. What do you think the importance of that is? Oh my gosh, it's, I think it's culture sets the foundation for everything from protecting the brand equity to the best practices to the values that um, an organization is going to run their business by. Uh, So culture to me creates kind of this platform to build everything else off of. And, you know, it's so fascinating because uh, Tam was clear with the culture she wanted to create. And around that, she built policies and procedures that would keep those values and that culture uh, in place. And people that embrace it, because not everybody's going to embrace that culture, right? 
but the people that embrace it flourish in it. She told story after story about those that, you know, just thought they were getting a part-time job to have a little extra cash working in a fast food restaurant, going on to being medical doctors and business owners themselves from the things that were offered within the culture she creates. And I think, I think we can't say enough about the importance of, of culture, not just at the franchisor level, but the individual franchisee level. Uh, so we attract the right uh, employees. We attract customers that have a similar mind and appreciate that. And we protect the, the brand in every way we possibly can. Yeah, I agree. And I, um, I interviewed uh, a local franchisee for Smoothie King um, in the first issue of the Franchise Woman. And she was just someone who had found her calling. She was in the place she was supposed to be. She loved it. She said, I live it, breathe it, eat it, do it all the time. And my son ended up working for her. And she, the culture she created for these young people, and, and so many restaurant franchises have young workers. And I think if you don't make them feel important and don't make them feel, I think you have to hook them in because I have another child who worked for a different franchise and it was not valued, constant changing of schedules, no respect for his time. Um, and I know they're kids, but I think you have to be respectful from both directions so that they feel like their time is valued. They feel important. They feel like they're making a contribution. Like Luke knew everybody's order who was a regular through the drive through and he was so proud of it. So, and it was, he was so good at it that, the nurse who was getting my knee surgery ready said, oh, I go to Smoothie King and I get this. Is your son Luke? And I said, yes. But he had been trained that way because mm -hmm. she hooked him in, made him excited, made him want to help people find out what their right smoothie was for their health needs. Um, and I think that Tamara, Tamara does that in a different direction. But I think that when she makes those kids feel important, and maybe none of them have ever felt important before. Mm -hmm. You know, some, some kids don't feel important at home. Um, and maybe she's that first person who gives them a positive experience to make them think they can do something. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that applies to any business. It's not just kids, but I think anybody who feels valued by Absolutely. the way that you treat, by the, you know, the things that you do for them, Christmas party, I mean, whatever a simple thing it could be all the way up to benefits. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to have that value or you're going to lose everybody. Exactly. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, these uh, fast food business, and there are other businesses wherein the employees are first-time employees. And mm -hmm. in those types of businesses as a franchisee are some of the most difficult businesses to run because of the retention issue. Oh, yeah. We know those are the first-time uh, first employees. So it requires more training, more patience, more commitment, which clearly Tamara has and others that choose uh, you know, this type of business where you're dealing with first-time employees, you have to have that kind of commitment. Otherwise, you're churning and burning employees. Never mind, these employees are the face of the business, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're at the counter, they're on the phone, whatever it is. And if they're unhappy and they're miserable and they're not well-trained and this is simply just so I have a few bucks so I can go party on the weekend or whatever... Uh, then that's not how you want your business as a franchisee to be represented. So, mm -hmm. so this whole mindset, this whole culture, 
Tamara creates, and I, I want to encourage other franchisors and franchisees to create, is a culture of retention and inclusiveness, and you're valued and you're respected, but in turn, this is what I need from you. I need you to show up in time. I need you to be responsible. And in turn, I'm going to teach you how to be self-sufficient. I'm going to show you mm-hmm. how you can uh, build a career, whether it's with Taco John's or any other business. You're going to be able to build a career based on the foundations that I'm going to teach. So those kids, they leave with something more than just a paycheck. Right. I think I think that's critical. And I think that you can tell when those employees feel valued because they're happy employees. Mm-hmm. They're happy to serve you. They're happy to wait on you. They're happy to say, what else can I do for you? Which, you know, you can tell that's created by the, the place that they work and the people that are leading them. And I think, I really do think Tim has got a remarkable yeah. attitude and, and leadership style. And I, I think that's a hard gig to work with oh. in places that have a lot of turnover with young people. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. and there's a know. lot, a lot of businesses that we do work with for some employees. So, so I can see why she has stepped up and said, okay, let me help other mm-hmm. franchisees where maybe their mindset isn't like that, or they're not wired to, to naturally be coaches and mentors and mm-hmm. mother hens, right? Right. <laughs> In many ways. Uh, so she's out there uh, teaching it. And hopefully, uh, you know, this inspires us to, to consider that. I know personally, um, I don't think I could work with first-time employees. I have a patience that's about that long. <laughs> so I would know as a prospective franchisee that I could probably not do that. But there are right. others that are much like uh, Tamara, that this is indeed God's gift to them. Right. They are able to do that, and then they in turn can empower those young folks. Right. And you have to be in the right headspace for that. I, I do some mentoring of girls in a a scholarship program, quote unquote, pageant every year, which was outside of my comfort zone. I don't think of myself in a pageant sort of way, mm-hmm. but um, I, it turns out that I like it. I like trying to help these girls think for themselves and be able to present themselves well and to speak well and to know how to dress themselves for appropriate occasions and, mm-hmm. and give them some sort of inspiration for what could they look to do going forward. Some of them have no clue. I almost love those better. Because yeah. when they tell me they've got it figured out, I almost don't believe them. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you do. We'll see what happens. When it, were but you I, 17, you got it figured out. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, <laughs> but I do that twice a week for like three months. I don't know if I would want to do it every single day Every of my life. single day. I'm <laughs> telling you, you got to be wired. You know, being in the profiling business, you've got to be wired. Uh, wired for that. you got to be willing to learn uh, how to do that. My favorite part of everything she talked about she is teaching these kids um, self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're going to go out in the uh, world and learn how to be adults. Imagine yeah. that. That's, that's like what we're supposed to be doing for our kids is teaching mm-hmm. them that. So that to me was best. But like always, Elizabeth, these conversations <laughs> were like, oh, this is so exciting. We, <laughs> we uh, dig in, but we need to go to commercial. Um, and listen to one of our other sponsors. Sounds good. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and
So I think we're having a little trouble with uh, the commercials today. <laughs> Fortunately, you are a sponsor. I'm a sponsor. Articles so relating to the female entrepreneur. We also feature <laughs> brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector yeah, in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. <laughs> the franchise women will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women. We are the Franchise Woman. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. All right. So welcome to Ask Beck and Liz, where no topic is off limits. We want to answer your questions about business, about life, and everything in between. So if you have a question for Beck and Liz, simply send an email to ask at beckandliz.com. So that's ask at beckandliz.com, and we will field uh, your questions. So, Elizabeth, um, we got another question. Last week, we talked about the importance of truth uh, in life and in business. And so we had a question this week um, around, so why do people lie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me, but why, why, why do people lie? I don't know. Um, in, in my experience, <laughs> unless you're seven and you're just going through the lying phase, all three of my boys went through it at the age of seven, um, as adults in business or adults in relationships, I feel like it's based on insecurity. I think it's a fear of failure or feeling of, of looking like you're a failure or you've made a mistake. People want to present um, themselves in the best possible way. The problem is when you get caught in a lie, you know, you destroy relationships and people don't want to work with you. So unless you're seriously good at it, <laughs> which nobody is, everybody, think, my kids are horrible liars. The people I've worked with are horrible liars. I, you know, most people suck at lying. So if you accept that and just tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> the consequences. Exactly. Yeah. And the consequences of truth. The consequences of truth may be painful. Like you, you hurt somebody's feelings or you had to admit you made a mistake or whatever it is, but those consequences are less than the consequences of a lie, which breaks the trust. It, 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 it bends that relationship in a different direction. It builds a relationship on guilt and shame and embarrassment and the lie. And, and that can't last forever. But I, I agree with you. I think that at the core of lying is this... Um, Feeling that I am inadequate, incompetent, I'm not enough, and this desperate need that we all have as human beings for being um, accepted, right? And, to, the, the, and it's instinctual. We want to be accepted, not just liked, but accepted. And if we perceive that something about us, a mistake we made or something in our history uh, is going to have someone reject us or not accept us or not allow us to belong, then there is this um, instinct to, to cover up that thing or to puff it up or in some way not draw light to I'm insecure, 
um, I'm inadequate, mm -hmm. I'm unworthy, whatever it is that we're covering up. So is there an acceptable life? Acceptable. Other than, other than do these pants make me look fat? It's okay to lie about that. <laughs> I, there, I think like, just do don't you know. have a line? Do you have a line where you think, oh, that's not that big of a deal, or is it just a hard no? I think it's a hard no. Personally, I mm -hmm. think, and some of that comes in my Christian beliefs, so I might be a little bit more hardline than than some people. But I think there's it's never acceptable um, because it becomes a slippery slope. If you're willing to lie mm -hmm. about this tiny little crazy stupid thing, then what's the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing? Never mind you oftentimes then have to remember those lies and the mind is now going a thousand different directions trying to remember. So I, I have a hard line. Uh, I, I would not uh, choose to lie about anything simply because I don't want to go down that slippery slope. And I would you know, encourage others to sort of uh, consider the same thing. Well, it, it, it causes you to question. And as I've gotten older, I've probably become less tolerant of it. I think probably maybe because more people have lied to me but, um, <laughs> or about me. <laughs> I've had that. I've had that. Um, yeah, me too. But I think that you just don't have time for that. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to sit around questioning if I can trust you or not. And if it's, like when I was doing online dating, one little tiny lie, and that was it. I was like, if you yeah. lie on your profile, what else mm -hmm. are you lying about or hiding, or who are you really? Or if you put up a fake photo, you know, if you present something about yourself that isn't true, what else cannot mm -hmm. I believe about you? And I just, you know, I don't understand people who can do it either, because when I was growing up, I would feel so guilty if I told a lie that I would tell on myself. Mm -hmm. And there, I my mom. <laughs> I lied. I'm so sorry. I lied. Sorry. You know? <laughs> but there is the second part of it because there's two victims in a lie. Okay. You think the person lying is getting what they want, which is acceptance and not rejected, being viewed in a particularly positive light. So you think mm -hmm. there's a winner and loser here. But there are two victims, in my opinion, in lying. Because if you have a conscience at all, <laughs> right? It's going to wear on your conscience. Mm -hmm. You're going to go, oh, sure, I should have said it that way, or that wasn't completely the truth. And But now if I go back, and, and, and after a while, you're looking in the mirror. You already feel inadequate, insecure, whatever, un-enough. Un <laughs> That's the right. word, un-enough. Yeah. And, and now you're lying, and you look in the mirror, and you no longer see the incredibly wonderful person you are mm -hmm. all you see is guilt all you see is shame all you see is embarrassment and then you get paranoid that that this truth would come out at some point it's just so much easier especially i'm sorry but as you get older you have less space in the brain you don't want to have to <laughs> well and all the people who have lied to me in a chronic way and unfortunately i have tr attracted a few of those um they can't remember their own lies. So it becomes easier and easier. And I always say the mask falls off. But at some point, the mask falls all the way off. And then as, as the person observing it, they can't get it back on. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine living in that level of exhaustion and stress every single day that you're trying to keep all of these strengths. And who, who did I tell what to? And what, what, what person do I have to present to this person? Mm -hmm. And what person do I present to that person? Because usually it's not the same. Which is, which is a slow... 
that's that slippery slope, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, initially it's, I just feel inadequate. Let me puff up and lie. And then I lie again. And it's a slippery slope. Now my conscience gets where I don't know where my due north is. But at some point, fear, paranoia, anxiety starts to take over. And mm-hmm. you, you manifest the very thing you're afraid of, which is I'm unworthy, right? I'm, right. Not, I'm not good enough. And sure enough, at some point you wake up and you realize you're not. It's interesting. Uh, if you read uh, how the brain works in a criminal mind, uh, it's rare that somebody is born with a criminal mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's <laughs> little infractions along the way. It is the, the little, you know, stealing the cookies out of the cookie jar. It's lying about it. It is telling the teacher the dog ate the homework. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's over time you start to desensitize uh, this conscience that we have, this due north that we have, that after a while we don't know any more truth from false. And without that in us, where's our barometer? Where's our compass? Where where is truth for us? It's it's a very stressful, as you pointed out. So it's a two victim um, situation. Well, it is, and it's 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 destructive to your relationships. But it, like you said, it's destructive to yourself when you look at yourself and you feel like you haven't you've done something wrong, and there is something wrong with you. And how do you recover from that? And you, so many times, you can't recover those relationships. And if it's in business and you develop a reputation for that, uh, people talk, especially in niche industries. You're you're going to have a lot harder time getting to people to want to do business with you and to believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. My dad used to have a, I think it was a plaque. He had something that said, you know, do what you say you're going to do the first time. Mm-hmm. Or I can't even think of what it was, but it was, it was something like that. And it, it goes to follow through, but it also goes to integrity. Integrity. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was do what you have to do when you have to do it, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And that's not exactly about truth, but it is to a degree because if you say if you if you're supposed to do it and you do it, then people believe you that you will. Right. Right. You know, if you're supposed to do it and you drop it, then nobody ever believes that you're going to fall and but you're going to become somebody that nobody trusts. Nobody trusts. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because you went straight into this idea of integrity. So integrity is again twofold. It's one thing to be honest and fulfill my agreement with a business partner, a colleague, a client, etc. But how many times do we lie to ourselves and say, oh, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to start that diet on Monday and then we <laughs> and pretty I soon about that all the time. <laughs> there we go. We got room for improvement there. But it's true. When we start to lie to ourselves, what's the mm-hmm. end result of that? When we say we're going to do something, we make a commitment and we don't follow through, it affects our self-esteem and it affects our ability to trust ourselves in any judgment. If I say I'm going to accomplish this or I'm going to do this and I fail to do so and follow through on that commitment, pretty soon the relationship I have with myself is I can't trust me. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I'm not I'm not going to follow through. So it's 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 damaging all the way around, you know, start with telling yourself the truth, which is I'm weak, I make mistakes, <laughs> I forget things, whatever it is, be honest with yourself and and 
honest with others. And trust me, it'll create so much space in your heart and in your head. It makes life so much, so much easier. Well, it does. And, and, you know, there've been times in life where I have been unreliable. Like what I had a child with seizure disorder. So I taught dance during that time. I had to say, people would ask me to, can you volunteer for this or can you take care of that? And I would say, well, here's the thing. I'm not reliable right now because I have this sick child. If he has a seizure, I will not be there. If he doesn't, I'm happy to do it. And if you're okay with that, you just Mm -hmm. let me know. If you're not okay with that, then I am not the goal for you right now. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you can set the boundary. Like everybody wants to say, yes, I'll do it. Or yes, I can. Or yes, this or yes, that. If you can't, it's okay to be honest about it. It's okay to not not be perfect. Right. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to say, I don't know if I can. It's okay to to be human. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a, a lot of what we're learning in society. Okay, Elizabeth, we always go right up to last minute right because our time. <laughs> but it's time for us to sign off. So thank you everyone for joining us today where passion and purpose collide, profits are made and relationships are forged. This is Beck and Liz signing off and wishing you another purpose-filled and profitable week. Here's our music. <laughs>